Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. Well, let's, let's honor the Lord by standing together and reading His Word. We're going to read Galatians chapter 2, just verses 1 through 8. Now, it's a lengthy chunk of scripture, but it is good. We get to read it with one another. So here we go, verse 1, uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 2. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth and the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we ask that you would be honored by the reading of your word to us. And we ask now, as we do every week, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the feet to follow you in faithful obedience every single day. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Well, if you're new here this morning, my name is Danny, one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church and have the privilege of preaching in this space we're so grateful that you're here. We know it's no easy thing to walk into a brand new space with, among brand new people. We would love to know that you're with us today, and you can do that by going to fbcsa.org connect. In fact, you can do that right now um, and let us know that you're with us, and we can make a connection with you at a later time. Our mission as the First Baptist family, which fits so well, This whole story uh, that Paul is unfolding for us, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. And we say that not just as individuals that happen to get together once or twice a week, but we say that as a church family, that we are a local body of believers called to be a part of what God is doing in San Antonio and across the world. And we, by God's grace, want to do that better. 
And I want all of us to be challenged, particularly today as we get into this text, to say yes to what God is doing all around us and trusting that he's going to use our church family to join him in what he is doing. The heart of these verses as Paul is retelling these encounters he has in Jerusalem is verse 8. Some of your Bibles, it might be a parenthetical statement, um, but it is the heart of what Paul is trying to teach or inform these churches in Galatia. And so let me just read that verse again. Verse 8. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews, that same God also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. That's the heartbeat of Paul's point. If he's making a case to hold on to the message that he originally gave him, this is it. And Paul's point is this. God's working through me in the same way He's working through Peter, the great apostle who is preaching to the Jews. The same God is working through both of us, which means, he's saying, if you trust the message of Peter and the gospel that he's sharing to the Jews, and the same God's working through me, you can trust the message that I originally gave you. You don't have to move away from that message. You don't have to add to something to that message. You can trust because the same God is working through both. The other thing that stands out from this verse that we see, or we should see, is that Paul is saying that the news that I shared to the churches in Galatia or in the Gentile world in which I was moving, lives were changed among the least likely people. We know up to this point, and we'll get to this in a little more detail in a moment, but Paul has had a little over 14 years of discerning the revelation from Jesus of this gospel that he has received, and then taking that gospel to the Gentiles, uh, cities and towns, uh, in parts of Arabia and then into Greece and as, eventually as far as he could go. Paul has been on mission telling this gospel that he originally gave to the Galatians, these churches in Galatia. And I have to think that along the way as he's sharing this gospel message that he is passionate about, he had to be surprised that these people, these Gentiles, entrenched in their own ways, their own values, their own attitudes, their own religions, would respond in faith in Jesus Christ. And things were happening among them. Miracles were happening. The Spirit of God was filling them in the same way that they were feeling new Jewish believers. I have to think that along the way, Paul was like, I can't believe this is happening. The God of my people is breaking into the Gentile world. We know he pieced it all together from the Old Testament. That's what God was about all along. There's no mystery there. But I think he had to be surprised along the way by what God was doing among these people who were the least likely people to be God's people. And it's here, 
It's here in this reality that God is breaking into the Gentile world and people coming to faith, people being rescued and people finding hope and forgiveness and purpose and joining and starting new little churches. This is where the rub happens. This is the problem that Paul has been alluding to the whole time that the the Galatians know, but he's actually beginning to use language that we get a better idea of how the gospel since then has become twisted are added to. So here's the problem. Galatians 2, 1 through 5. We've read this together. 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus. Titus was a Greek. He was a Jew. He came along. That's risky business. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared within the message I've been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. I mean, so here's Paul. He's been doing mission and ministry for 14 years now. He actually has been back to Jerusalem before now, but now he's going back with a particular purpose because of, of this this breaking through into the Gentile world, churches being started, people becoming faith in Jesus, there began a tension to rise out of the Jewish people, some Jewish people in Jerusalem, even some of them being new followers of Jesus that were shocked by that reality. They were shocked by the reality that, that their God would be at work among the Gentile world. And they could not imagine that God would be breaking through in that way, even though the Old Testament scriptures had been declaring that all along the way. They never imagined that the gospel would break through among the Gentiles. Why? For Jewish believers, even the supposed Christians that Paul alludes here in this text, their identity as God's people slash kingdom was inseparable from their ethnicity, their religious heritage, and traditions. It was hard for them, and it makes sense, right? It was hard for them to wrap their brain around that God, God would do a new work through a people that hadn't been chosen by God, who hadn't, don't have these rich traditions, they haven't received the law, they don't have the, the retellings of the story of God and how he has chosen the people of Israel. They don't have any of that. How could, they, it was, they were having a hard time wrapping their brain around that reality. They couldn't imagine it. And so the only thing that they could possibly conceive of is that if God were to receive new sons and daughters into the kingdom, i.e. these Greeks and Romans and Arabians, the only way that could possibly happen is if they too take on Jewish tradition, the law, right? If you want to be a chosen son or daughter of God, then you have to take on as much as you possibly can the ethnicity of being a faithful Jewish person. Which, added, which included circumcision, made sense to them. And so for them, it was, for the Gentile, is yeah, it's good, all well and good that you have Jesus, but you also have to have this. It's Jesus plus a to-do list. 
If you want to enter the kingdom, you have to become a Jew, which means if you're not circumcised, you need to be circumcised. And you need to take on some of the religious ritual and traditions that we've been practicing for generations and generations. It became Jesus plus a to-do list. They were upset. How could it be that Gentiles could receive this gift, could know redemption and be chosen and become sons and daughters of God if they didn't also take on Jewish tradition and customs, i.e. circumcision? Jesus wasn't enough in their mind. You had to have something. You had to become like a Jew. They're jealous. They were jealous. We know what this is like. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, remember? The prodigal son went and wasted his life, took his father's inheritance, just completely wasted his life, gave himself to anything but God, anything but honoring his father. And he comes home repentant, and the father just swoops him up, extends mercy and grace and lavishes on him, rejoices that he returns. What happens with the older brother? The older brother's ticked off. I've been faithful this whole time. I've been doing all the hard work. I've been been obedient. I've been doing what you want me to do. And you give grace to him. He's done nothing but squander everything. That's what these attitude of these Jewish believers were, or supposed Jewish believers. Like how in the world could they, you could extend grace to them when they haven't done the work. They've got to have Jesus plus the work then they can enter the kingdom of God. We know that feeling when that coworker gets the promotion far sooner than you did. They didn't put the work in. When someone else gets noticed before you get noticed and you've been doing the hard work all along, we know what that feeling is like. That's the feeling that they had, and they took the gospel message, and because of their jealousy and their commitment to even their own ethnic identity, said, if you're going to be a son and daughter of God, if you're going to be into this kingdom of God, you've got to do what we've been doing all along. It has to be Jesus plus. But we know it's not about the math. It's not about the math. It's not about... Jesus plus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that was the message that Paul was preserving. Jesus is sufficient alone because of the work that he has done, not the work that you have done or need to do. Jesus is sufficient for forgiveness of sin, for renewed life and purpose. Jesus alone. And through him, you experience grace and mercy. And so there were a people that God was moving among that seemed to be the least likely people, the Gentile people. Let me ask you this. That's the problem. That was the problem. That's the, that's the gospel that was being twisted to and added to that Paul was preserving because, because of that rising tension that God was redeeming the the Gentile world and Gentile people. But isn't that a marvelous truth? 
that God indeed is moving among the least likely people to us. People that we might ever considered that they too could be redeemed. So let me ask you this. Are there people in our city that you cannot imagine the gospel breaking through to? Man, they're just too far off, too far away. Is there a part of you, and I I ask this very um, compassionately, because I think these are great questions for us to ask ourselves. Is there a part of you that believes they won't know the grace of God unless they look like us? Or maybe share the same opinions as we do? You might not even be aware of it. But it should lead us to some personal reflection. Are there people in our city or even people in our world that Man, God's not going to break through into them unless they make some changes. They hold to some new values. If that's the case, it's an opportunity for us to repent of that, right? To have some honest reflection, repent. That even then, God can break through and bring forgiveness and restoration. We will, we will never live out the gospel with some people if somehow we believe they really don't deserve it, right? We, we won't take the time or the energy or the effort to join in what God is doing if there's a part of us that says, no, not them. Their political views are way too far left or way too far right. They gotta look like more like me before God breaks in to their life. Who are the least likely people in your life? The person that has the strongest opinions, that is just not open to having conversations. Who is that least likely person in your life? Or that, that person that just doesn't feel like it's worth our time Who is that person in your life? All of us have them. But Paul's testimony that the God who worked through Peter is working in me through the least likely people should embolden and inspire and fuel our prayer and action in this city and the world. I mean, if God is breaking through the most unlikely people, like the Gentiles, the Greeks, and the Romans, who were doing crazy stuff in their religious practices. God was redeeming them out of that. If God can break through to them, shouldn't that testimony of Paul inspire us? Shouldn't it? Just in Acts chapter 15, um, Acts chapter 15 kind of retells us a story of um, how just later, not too long after this, most likely they actually had a convening council to make some significant decisions about the gospel to the Gentiles and uh, how the Gentile churches should function. Um, but this is, this is what um, Paul 
well, not Paul, Luke writes this, but he's retelling this story. It says, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts through faith. And Paul would testify earlier that wonders and miracles were happening among the Gentiles. We should, we should receive that with great inspiration, that if that's true then, it's also true now, that God is eager to break through in, among the least likely people. That should embolden us to be bearers of God's message, to love the least of these, and to join him in what he is doing. There is, there is no demographic, there is no group of people that God can't and won't invite into his kingdom. Even the least likely people in your schools, in the workplace, could it be that God could break into their life and they would say yes to Jesus? Paul's testimony would say yes. Should embolden us. And not only does he break through among the least likely people, but he uses the least likely people. He uses the least likely people. Galatians uh, 2.8, Paul again says, God's using me too as an apostle. Paul felt this. He said, who am I that God would use me? I've got way too much baggage and way too much history. I persecuted Christians. I threw them into jail. I'm the last person that I think God would use. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8, 9, he says, I'm like one who is untimely born. I'm out of place. I don't fit in with all the other apostles. Later, he'll call himself the chief of sinners. Paul, in his own mind, thought that he was the least likely person to deliver the news to the Gentile. In fact, everyone was shocked that God chose Paul. I mean, the God choosing of Paul and working through Paul is kind of like the guy at your high school reunion 20 years later, and he's running a multi-million dollar company, and you're like, but you were that other guy back then. Or maybe the guy who had the worst possible reputation And somehow got it together along the way. That's kind of like how Paul, God, you're going to use Paul. God uses the least likely people, the people who think they carry way too much baggage, have experienced way too much sin, or are suffering way too much to be used of God. I've got way too much history. And yet the testimony of Paul is God is using me as an apostle to the Gentiles. God uses the least likely people. Folks, God is on the move all across the world, breaking in among the least likely people, using the least likely people. The greatest movements on the planet of the church are in the hardest reached places like Iran and continues to move in China. Who would have imagined that there would be a movement of church planning work across Iran? Because God breaks into the least likely people and he uses the least likely people. Recently, uh, in fact, this week, I was reminded of the stories coming out of Angola Prison. If you don't know, Angola Prison is the largest 
uh, federal prison in uh, uh, our state prison in the United States of America. It has a horrible, horrible history attached to slavery in the U.S. It's ugly. And yet, to date, there are 12 ongoing churches that are in Angola prison. And there are men who are being trained to be pastors and leaders among those churches to minister to their fellow inmates with the vision that even when there are transfers of prisoners in Angola prison to a new prison, that they could start a new church. Isn't that crazy? That God breaks into the least likely places among the least likely people to be a part of what he is doing, to invite new sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Man, that's a message that we need to hear. First Baptist family, we gather individuals and families all across the city you know, sometimes I think about the regionality of our church as maybe that's not a great thing. Wouldn't it be better off if we were just in this tight-knit community and everyone was three to 10 minutes away from our facility? But what if God wants to use the least likely people, i.e. the First Baptist family, to break into the lives of the least likely of those in this city and he has us scattered across the city for that reason? What if we opened up our homes? What if we went out of our way to bless the least of these? And you guys, you guys, you have people in your schools, you have people in your relationships and your normal, normal rhythms of life that have desperate needs. What if God gave us the kind of vision as a church family, not just as individuals, but we are going to move and join God in what he's doing. We're gonna open our eyes to kingdom work all around us and we're gonna see, does that kid in the cafeteria who's by themselves need someone to come alongside them and be a blessing? Absolutely. Can God use that to move in their lives so that they might see Jesus? Absolutely. Or what about that neighbor, that soccer family that just had a loss in the family? What if God opened up our eyes and said, how can I move alongside this family that's in desperate need so that they can both see and hear the gospel at work? God moving among the least likely people using the least likely people. If you think if, you, if there's a part of you that thinks, gosh, I'm just not equipped enough. I'm not ready. I've got too much stuff going on. I don't have the schedule, Danny. What are you, you're asking me to do more stuff. I'm not asking you to do more stuff. What I am asking all of us to do is to believe what God is saying to the testimony of Paul that through us even God will be on the move. We can move with God with confidence that God will use our time, use our schedules, use our voice, use our blessing, our opportunities for blessing and to bring blessing to other people so that they might enter the kingdom of God. Our greatest need and prayer is for God to open up our eyes to see that and say, I'm just gonna trust Jesus. There's a reason Jesus said, the last words of Jesus before he said the Great Commission, he said this, I want you to know that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Now go and make disciples. He didn't use those words just to threaten us. Like, you better do what I tell you to do. Now, there's a part of that that's true. But what he is saying, he's, he is saying that you can trust in my commissioning of my disciples to work through you among the least likely people that it's going to happen. Makes me wonder what that, that first gutsy person, believer in Iran, was thinking. Gosh, this is not going to happen. It's just too hard. Or maybe Angola prison. Man, these men are too hard. They got, I just don't believe God, God can do this. But I'm going to be faithful to do it. And Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And when you say yes, you watch how I break into the lives of people, using the least likely people, even you, us.